Praise God. Praise God. I'd like to welcome everyone today. Those of you that are our guests this morning, we welcome you. We're so glad to have you in service with us today. Thank you for being a part. If you're watching us online somewhere this morning, we welcome you as a part of this service. Pray that you're blessed by it as well. Amen. If you're not standing and you're able to stand, if you would stand, please. We are so thankful, blessed this weekend to have uh, Brother Ryan near with us again. He was here with us a couple of times last year. And uh, in addition to him this time, he's got his wife and his two kids, and we're happy to have them with us this weekend and thankful for them. If, Brother Near is an evangelist um, out of Des Moines, Iowa, uh, now one of Maryland's opponents in the Big Ten. We won't hold that against him, but um, so we are thrilled. Great man of God, great family. Uh, he's, he's, he's only 29 still. He's young. You know, it's scary when you start looking at somebody 30 as being young. That's scary. Praise God. But as I've said, we've had a great time yesterday. And uh, I, I want you to open your hearts, your spirits to the Lord today. Because I believe God wants to not only speak to us this morning, but that God also wants to do something significant in this place. Brother Near, come. Thank you for being with us this weekend. Well, let's clap for Jesus, everybody. He's the reason. Why we're here. Hallelujah. Come on. Hallelujah. Would you extend your faith right now like you have anticipation? Hallelujah. Like God is about to do something on your row. Like God is about to do something where you are in your world right now. Hallelujah. We give it to you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, it's good to be back at the Antioch here in Annapolis or Annapolis. Maryland, amen. It's so good to be back with you and uh, be with your pastor and also his wife. Um, they're good folks. They're friends of ours. I, I take them in as friends. They may not consider me a friend, but I, I just, I tell everybody, they're my friend. Yeah, I know them real well. And uh, no, they're good. We had a good time. The Spirit of the Lord has really been moving and just ministering in a specific way. And uh, even your pastor and pastor's wife took us out last night over barbecue. They started to minister unto us, me and my wife, and I'm thankful for them. Amen. So I honor them, honor Bishop and Mother Wright as well in their absence. Amen. Amen. But also, uh, I'm just glad to be back here because it's a little bit different from where we've been preaching for the last little while because we've been down in the holler in Kentucky. And, uh, I, I mean, it threw me for a loop. We're down in the holler. Holler's a, just literally a valley where you've got two mountains on either side. So I was preaching in a church where there was that, we're down in the holler. And I started saying words I'd never said before. And they were literally down in this holler between Mount, Mount, it was called, uh, Tater Knob and Mount Scratchum. And they, right down in the middle of all of that, they were having revival. And I'm telling you, I, I know you think he's just telling a story, but I'm telling, it was not a story. So I'm thankful to be here. I mean, we were having church and I, I mean, the Holy Ghost got to moving one time. I heard one person stand up and say, yee-haw. 
And that man, that just threw something, that just helped me out a bunch. I mean, it did something, I, amen, like you never heard before in your life. So if you feel today, if you feel just like standing up and saying, yeehaw, if you feel it, I'm telling you, I promise you, it'll do me real good. Amen. But it's good to be in the house of the Lord. How many are ready for the word of the Lord? <laughs> Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, would you open those up to Genesis chapter 2? Genesis chapter 2 and a little bit out of Genesis 3. And we'll also go to John chapter 19 and also John chapter 20. My, my, my. I love what I feel in this house. There's, there was something that came into this, this atmosphere when you began to pray one with another. There was a spirit of ministry that came in. Now, I'm not going to press you to just just respond. I just want you, instead of trying to get you to press, I just want you to yield to that same spirit of ministry that came in this house because God's going to meet us where we are. All right, is that okay? Genesis chapter 2, and we'll start reading, I believe, at verses, well, let's just start at verse 8. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8, and the Bible says, And the Lord God planted a garden, everybody say, a garden, eastward in Eden. And there he put the man who he, who he had formed. Now skipping down to verses 15, And the Lord God took the man, and he put him into the garden. Everybody say, the garden. Of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Now skipping over to Genesis chapter 3 and verses 6. The Bible says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in that same garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? One translation says, Adam, I'm in our meeting place. Where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid. Everybody say he was afraid. I was afraid and I hid myself because I was naked. I hid myself. Now skipping down just for a little more context, verse 24. So he drove out the man, and he had placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now skipping to John chapter 19, just to bring more of a complete context to the text. John chapter 19 and verses 41. Now... 
in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein was never a man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day. For the sepulcher, or the tomb, was nigh at hand. But skipping to John chapter 20, just to continue the thought, he goes in verses uh, 12, and see and seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the hand and, and the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. I don't know where he is. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? He reiterates the question as the angels had once asked, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener. Saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him th- hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. If I could just for a little while, I just, I, I, I want to minister with a question this morning and please don't try to answer it or try to figure out where I'm going before I get there but just allow this question to kind of just resonate with you as I ask it and allow it to become the premise in which God will minister to us today and that question is have you met the gardener have you met the gardener would you please set your Bibles down and, and in your way of talking to the Lord, would you just lift your voice and ask Him to speak to us and allow that spirit of ministry to meet us. Father, we come to you right now knowing that it is you that doeth the work. Knowing, Lord Jesus, that it is you that we need in this house, oh God. So I pray, Father, that you would hide me and I pray let your personality, let who you are come out, God, but hide my humanity. Let there be no fly in the ointment, but let that spirit of ministry sweep into this house, touching every heart, touching every mind. With that spirit of revelation and understanding, I pray let it be released in this house, binding every hindering spirit, whether human or demonic. Anything, oh God, that would come to confuse, I pray let it be bound. Everything to distract, oh God. I bind all doubt. I bind all fear. But I pray let there be the gift of faith that is activated amongst us so that we can believe you that you're not out to hurt or out to harm but you're out to help us tonight and everybody said in Jesus name look at your neighbor say have you met him smile real big don't be all sourpuss I want you to look at him smile say have you met him amen and you may be seated if you so desire By this time, Mary had followed Jesus 
as long as she had she had had known him she had followed him because this is the mary that had had seven devils cast out this is the mary who had a past this is the mary who jesus found where she was and she followed him followed him with intent and followed him in faithfulness where even the disciples would fall off in the shadow of calvary's hill and the cross where jesus hung wide on that tree she followed him all the way to the foot of the cross this mary that had followed jesus so faithfully because of what he she had been forgiven from what she had been uh, delivered from it is this mary that had followed jesus even to the death of the cross and now three days into his death uh, she not knowing that he was risen she comes to the grave where they had buried him and she is weeping because she had lived uh, with her messiah she had walked with him as the other disciples had she had ate at the same tables with him she had looked full on to the face if full on into the face of his fullness and his deity she looked at him she knew his voice she understood his his intonations even as he would speak she was acquainted with Emmanuel as they interp called him Emmanuel God with us but Jesus had to die on that cross and be buried in that grave so he can transition from Emmanuel Emmanuel, God with us to Christ in us, the hope of glory. So there was a moment in time after she had followed him so faithfully because of his forgiveness that she had received. She had to go through a period of time after she knew his voice, after she'd seen his miracles. There was a three day period where she couldn't feel him anymore. She could not see him anymore. She could not hear that same raspy voice that had mentioned to the storm, peace, be still. Because now, after his death, she's there weeping at his graveside, not knowing where he is, thinking somebody had taken him from her she looks into that empty grave not realizing he got up on his own and he walked out on his own not realizing that he was resurrected she is weeping understanding that he is alive and he's more alive than he's ever been that Mary is weeping the angels come and they say woman why weepest thou why why are you crying why are you sorry because there's something taking place beyond your understanding right now that you can't perceive it you can't understand it because he's not dead because God is not in the same state that you've seen him last but he is risen he is more alive Mary why are you weeping just because you haven't seen him for a little while just because you haven't felt him like you once felt him for a little while I'm telling you those those angels knew something that Mary didn't. But even in the presence of angels, she's still weeping. If an angel came to us and said, hey, don't worry about the job because God's got a better one waiting. If angels showed up, halos and everything, wings of flapping, I mean, they come up and they said, don't worry about it. God's got this. We...
But angels come to Mary and they said, why weepest thou? Why are you still crying? He's alive and Mary's still crying. And then Jesus like, all right, watch out guys. I got this. And he comes to Mary and he asks the same question. Woman, why weepest thou? What are you weeping over? They said they took my master and I don't know where they laid him. I don't know where he is. I don't know what they did with him. He's absent in my mind and he's absent in my life. But she didn't even realize that the same Jesus that she had followed so faithfully, the same eyes that she'd looked into, the same voice that spoke into her ears uh, was speaking to her standing in front of her and she couldn't even recognize him because the fact of the matter was could it have been that Jesus uh, after the death and burial and resurrection uh, he was trying to reveal an even greater dimension of his deity and an even greater understanding and angle of who he really was because she was faithful. She knew Jesus. But could it be that there are situations and times where God is absent because He's trying to give us a greater understanding beyond what we've ever known? Not that He wasn't Jesus. Not that He wasn't that same Jesus. But looking at that same Jesus whom she had seen so many times and looked to those eyes and heard His voice. She's now talking to Him and talking to Him. Or talking to him, not recognizing him. The Bible says something that has plagued me for, for a while now. The Bible says her looking at that same Jesus whom she fell in love with. She couldn't recognize him because I believe it was Jesus trying to show Mary a part of himself that she had never seen. That she had never been acquainted with. That she couldn't be acquainted with until after the death of the cross. Until after the grave. And the Bible says she supposed him to be the gardener and us thinking well she knew him and she didn't recognize him so her supposing him to be the gardener he must not be the gardener but because she didn't recognize him it was because I believe that he had he was trying to reveal himself as the gardener because God when he revealed himself in the Old Testament as healer it's not that he wasn't a healer before but it just took a situation to bring out that revelation of who he was so it took the death the burial and the absence for that moment to create a situation that would reveal to her something about him that she had never seen so I've come to talk today I know you've been faithful I know you've been following I know you've heard his voice and I know you've seen great works that he's done but could there have been a moment in time in the last little while where you had a word but it felt like God told you wait you had a promise but everything was on pause and in that absence you began to weep saying where is he where is he I've got a word but where is he but it is in this situation where you didn't know what was going on in your body you didn't know what was going on in your job or your marriage it's in that situation where God's peeking out saying Mary and once he said it like that she's like 
Uh-oh. I know not only that voice, but I know that intonation. So I've come to preach today that not that he was not the gardener, but in fact, he was using that moment to reveal himself as the gardener. But I'm going to prove to you today in Scripture that he was not only just then the gardener, but he had always been the gardener. Because all the way back in the beginning, in the beginning from the book of Genesis, even the book of Genesis is a garden. It is the garden garden where God planted every word or every principle or precept that we believe in today in the apostolic. It was planted in the first garden, the book of beginnings. Let me prove it to you. In the beginning, God created, in the beginning, God. Let's just stop there. That seed form that God is just one and he's God all by himself. But then watch now. He planted that seed in the garden in the beginning. In the beginning, God. But that goes all the way when it was planted in that garden. But you watch it blossom all the way through Scripture. And you see the fruit. You watch it break soil in a Bethlehem major. And you watch it blossom all the way to the book of Revelation where he said, Jesus speaking, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Ding. But it doesn't stop there. It continues to flow. Because the Bible said, how many know that we're saved by grace? We're saved by grace. Ephesians 2 and 8, that we are saved by grace and not, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works. It is a gift. We're saved by grace. But even though this world has misconstrued grace, let's go back to the garden. The Bible said in the face of judgment, Noah, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he planted a seed of grace for us to understand. Noah found grace in the face of judgment. But here's grace. God gave Noah a plan to follow that would cause him and his family to escape the judgments that were to come. And here's how grace started. That plan that God gave Noah planted in the garden in seed form. He says to him, get you some gopher wood. In other words, it always starts with a tree. Gopher wood, what is it? Oh, gopher wood. Yeah, gopher wood. Gopher wood. It all starts with a tree. But then it keeps going. He says to them, I want you to build that ark. I want you to build it with one door. That's Jesus Christ. I want you to build it with one window. That's this life. He said, I want you to build it with three floors. That's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then once that was instituted, he said, Noah, get in it. And then, it it just keeps flowing. It keeps blossoming out of that garden. Because the Bible says that after they had the death, burial, and resurrection, the three floors on that ark, he said, pitch it within and without with pitch. That's holiness. It starts on the inside and it'll take care of the outside to make sure you keep everything you got. 
that seed for holiness. But then it goes and keeps blossoming. He said, not only the death, burial, and resurrection. He said, you've got to get in it. And once they got into God's grace, the Bible said, then there was a flood. And what that flood did was wash away all the sin that was on the planet. And that water was what separated Noah and his family from the wickedness of this world and the sin that was in the... And that's why it says in 1 Peter 3 and 20, while the ark was preparing, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us. It's the water that separates us. That's why that's God's grace. That's planted in that garden. And God said in seed form, if it's water that separated Noah and his family from this world, it's going to be water that separates us from this world. And then he doesn't even, he don't even stop there. He keeps going. You read. Let me show you something. Genesis 8 and verse 1. The Bible says after the water. Everybody say after the water. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was in, with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth. And suddenly, and suddenly, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. And it sat upon them, clothed in tongues as of That was all in the garden because there was a wind in the garden, but there was also a wind in the upper room. That was all seed for the fruit of salvation that you and I. He was a gardener. But it don't even stop there because he gave him a promise. He gave him a promise, said, Noah, I'm not going to flood the earth ever again. I'm not going to flood the earth. You don't have to fear, but have faith in this promise that you'll have a promise of life because I'll never flood the earth again. But so with that promise, you can't see a promise. So God, to make sure they understood that they had a promise, God gave them a rainbow. And the Bible said this is a token of the covenant. Or this is the physical manifestation and evidence that there is now a promise in place. And that's what speaking with other tongues is. That is the token of the covenant. And that's the evidence when you begin to speak in that heavenly language. Crying, Abba, Father. That is the rainbow that's telling you that there is a promise in place. But this is my favorite part, and I'll I'll move on quickly. Because the Bible also said, after that wind, after the water, and after the wind, just like Jesus, John 3 and 5 said, He said, Verily I say unto you, Verily, verily I say unto you, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That was all planted in the garden. And we watch it blossom throughout the Scripture. But also now, the Bible says that ark, when it rested, when it rested, it rested on a mount called Erat. And Erat means in the Hebrew language. I looked it up this morning. Blew me away. I didn't realize it was there. When they rested on that mountain, you know what that mountain means? Erat in the Hebrew language. It literally means the curse reversed. 
So after the water and after the wind, the curse had been reversed. That curse of sin that brought sickness. That curse of sin that brought disease. That curse of... That's all in the garden. It's not just in the book of Acts. It was planted in seed form. That's why Galatians 3 and 24 says it like this. It says that the Old Testament is the schoolmaster, the teacher, the caregiver. The Old Testament is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. Why? Because he's the gardener. But watch. Because in that garden of Genesis... He not only planted the seed for salvation that would break soil in a Bethlehem manger and we would see him and he would die on a cross. It is in that garden of Genesis, that book of beginnings, that he also planted a garden in Eden. Eden means desire. So God planted a garden in his desire. He planted that garden because he would make man and he would put man in that garden. This was God's desire to have an atmosphere that could acquaint him with humanity, to have an atmosphere where he could walk with them and talk with them because God expressing his desire in that garden and said to Adam, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone because I know what it's like to be alone. So Adam, I'm going to make a place for you but also give you a help meet or give you a wife because I know what it's like to be alone because God was expressing his desire in that garden saying, I don't want to be alone. I know what it's like. So Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make you somebody. And here's what I want you to do. The Bible says God placed Adam in that garden and in that garden... This was God's desire where they would walk with him. The Bible says naked and unashamed. That doesn't mean that they just didn't have clothes. That meant that God had access to them. He had access to every part of them. He had access to who they were. He had access to everything about them. And that was his desire. So in that garden, he would walk with them every day. And it's in that garden where God could express himself. It's in that garden that he created out of his desire for you and desire for a relationship and desire to be able to share himself with somebody. He created that garden and they would walk with him every day. And in that garden, walking with him every day, they would, they would be able to relate to God and ask God things and talk to God. Things they didn't understand, they could just ask him in, in all of his omniscient, being omniscient and knowing all things, they could say, God, I don't understand the way of the eagle. I don't understand why that animal does. And they could talk with him. And God, in all of his wisdom, could explain to them and say, because the, the eagle, the way it goes, when it gets to the storm, it learns to circle. And when it begins to spread its wind, it can get higher than the storm. And the storm literally pushes it higher and, and starts to explain. But it is that garden. In that garden, God just wanted to give of himself to them. It's in that garden where God just wanted in return them to come to him with everything and allow him access to their lives and to their heart and to everything that they were. That's all that God wanted. That's all that God desired. He didn't ask much. Just be available. 
Just walk with me so I don't have to be alone. And they had access to him and everything that he was. But all he asked in return was access to them. In that garden. So in that garden now. We know the story. God just says one thing. He says you can have everything in this garden. You have access to everything. But just don't eat of that tree of knowledge and good. of That tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Bible says he put that tree in the midst. I mean, if I was God. Everybody smile at me. If I was God, I would have took that tree and I would have put it in the back bedroom. If I was God, I would have took that tree and my limited knowledge and I would have put it somewhere where they couldn't find it. Hey, if I was God, I wouldn't have even made the tree. But God, not wanting His people to have to worship Him or His people to have to walk with Him, He gave them a blatant choice to love Him. He said, I'm going to put this in the midst and I don't want you to be forced to love me or forced to praise me. I just want you to choose me. Because so much, so much in Pentecost is, is to press and to push, but God just says, here's a tree you choose. So that's in this garden now. And God, they're walking with Him every day. And if they didn't understand something, they could go to Him. If they were afraid of something, they could go to Him. But now, after they had eaten, you know the story, they ate the tree. Of the tree. They ate of that fruit. That that gardener knew better. Don't eat it. They ate of it. And they sinned. And sin nature enters into them. And the Jews call it Yatsahara. Or this evil inclination that they geared towards now. That's added, That's the Adamic nature. That sin nature now enters into the garden. And you know what? That garden, the first thing that it does to, it does to them is leads them to fear. And the Bible says that they went and hid themselves amongst the trees of the garden. In other words, they took this environment that was created to cultivate an intimacy with God. And they turned it and used it to hide themselves now. And this is how religion was born. That out of this environment that was created to cultivate a relationship and an intimacy with God. Now, out of fear because of failure. Out of fear because of things we've done wrong. Out of fear because of our insecurities and our inadequacies. We now use the same environment that was created to cultivate this relationship. We now use it and we hide in it. But guess what? Why'd they hide? Because they had more faith than they realized. The reason why they hid was because they understood even though they had failed, God was going to be faithful. Even though we messed up, I know He's going to meet us. Because we've met here every day. We've talked every day. This is our meeting place. So even though we failed, He's going to be faithful and show up exactly where we've met Him every day. So don't quit. Don't give up. Even... Let's just stop and clap our hands right now. Hallelujah.
But you've got to understand that in that garden that they had ate of that fruit, they now hiding themselves amongst the trees of the garden, sowing fig leaves together to hide themselves, using this environment that God created as His desire to cultivate a relationship with you, that He could have access to you, that you weren't afraid of Him, that you wouldn't fear Him. All of a sudden, here comes God. And God says to Adam, Adam... Where are you, Adam? And like I mentioned previous, Adam, I'm in our meeting place. Where are you? And Adam comes out. said, I was hiding. Why are you hiding, Adam? Because I was naked. And I was afraid. I didn't know if you'd still want me. I didn't know if you... But here, let me just stop and get this. Let me just stop and say this. God doesn't want just the best of you. God doesn't want just the best of what you have to offer. God wants the broken. God wants the parts of you that don't work real good. God He don't want just the best of you. He wants all of you. Because he said, I made that and I don't make junk. He wanted them even in spite of their failures. He wanted them. So don't give up and hide behind uh, this church environment that was created to make a relationship with God and use it to hide what's wrong with you and hide what you're afraid of God knowing about you. He already knows, but he wants you to understand. Adam, let me say it like this. Antioch. Antioch, I'm in our meeting place. Where are you? Even though you might have got distracted for a moment. Even though you might have been, uh, you might have failed or, or you might have messed up or you might have let your prayer light down and you, you might not pray like you once did and you may not have people flocking, getting the Holy Ghost like you once did. But Antioch, I'm in our meeting place still. Even though you may have failed, He is still faithful. And it's still His desire. But you know the story. After they'd failed, they messed up. God was forced to break His own heart by taking the people who He had created for that relationship and that intimacy where He had access to them. He now, the Bible says, has to escort them out of that same garden. And said for a moment. He said I'll live without you for a moment. I'll have that period of time. Like that three days in the grave. I'll have a moment. But this moment is going to buy back an eternity for you. Because he said. Watch what the Bible said. He said that he removed them out of the garden. And had that moment. Without them. And put that garden or that angel there with a flaming sword to protect the way of the tree of life. Why? Because he'd rather have a moment without you so he could get you back and get the garden back. Than have you eat of that fruit of that tree of life and live forever in that separated state. 
So he'd rather put you out for a moment. He'd rather not show up on your behalf for a moment so he can get back his greatest desire. And that's why it took so many thousands of years until that seed of that one God broke soil in a Bethlehem major. You were just separated for a moment. But guess what? The last Adam, according to 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible said that the last Adam showed up to get back what the first Adam lost. And Jesus showed up on the scene uh, and he said, I told Adam to dress it. I told Adam to keep it. But what Adam couldn't dress uh, and what Adam couldn't keep, uh, I come back as a last Adam to get back what the first. That's why he said in Luke 19 and 10, I've come to seek and to save that, not them, that, because he just don't want humanity, he wants that garden back. He wants that place where we're not ashamed to bring our sorrows, not ashamed to bring our inadequacies, not ashamed. Come on, stop right now, somebody just thank him for that. Somebody just praise him for that. Hallelujah. He didn't just come back. Just get us to leave us the way that we are. No, friend. He said, I come to seek and to save that which was lost. Everything that was lost in that first garden, I'm here to get it back. That place with you where you ain't afraid to come to me and say, God, I don't believe you right now. I'm having a tough time trusting you right now. And you could come to him and you wouldn't feel ashamed, but he would take that. That's why the Bible calls him 1 Corinthians 4, 15 and verse 45. He said he was the last Adam is the Lord of heaven. The first Adam's of the earth, earthy. But the last Adam's the Lord of heaven. So it was the last Adam that came back to get what the, the first Adam had lost. He was willing. Watch what he did. He was willing to step out of majesty. He was willing to step out of glory. He was willing to step out of everything that he was clothed in. And he stepped down naked and unashamed into the same frailty of flesh. He stepped into the same dust that robes us. And he said, I'm willing to go through the same pain, the same loss. And what you couldn't keep, I'm here to get it back. That's why, oh, I'm trying to fail how much I'm supposed to go into this. Because Luke 4 and 14, that's why Luke 4, he comes along and he says to them as he takes that scroll in the church house and he says to them, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, deliverance to the captives, the recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm here. But to preach the acceptable year of the Lord was to preach the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was the 50th year. Every 50th year, there was supposed to be a universal release of person and property. 
Everything that had been leveraged and mortgaged, everything that had been lost, whether it was houses or lands, or if you were a debtor and you were in bondage, when that trumpet would sound for that year of Jubilee, you would get the land back that you lost. You would get your slaves back that you'd let go. You would be, if you were a slave, you'd be set free. So it was in the book of Leviticus, that year of Jubilee, they would sound the trump, supposed to sound that trumpet, so that all of the land that was for the tribes would go back to their original inheritance. But how powerful is that principle? Well, we don't know. There was never anybody in the Old Testament or historical record where anybody ever practiced the year of Jubilee. Because they wanted to keep everything there. So nobody ever practiced it. Never, nobody ever blew the trumpet and said, Hey, we've practiced this. This is a year of Jubilee. So they would drift farther and farther away. Instead of returning back to that original inheritance, they would drift farther and farther away because of that Adamic nature, that sin nature. They would just drift. But guess what Jesus said? And when he picked up that scroll, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He said, I'm here to preach the gospel to the poor, deliverance to the cap, or deliverance to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, healing those that are brokenhearted, and to set at liberty those that are bruised, and to preach. The acceptable year of the Lord. Guess what? We don't know how powerful that principle was until he came to preach it. Until he came to sound the trumpet. You know what Jesus was saying when he said the spirit of the Lord's upon me? He was saying I've come to get my garden back. Because that year of Jubilee, that Jubilee principle, it was a universal release of person and property. So why we may have been drifting away, farther and farther away from that original garden of God's desire. He came down himself as that last garden, cause that last Adam saying, the gardener's here and I've come to get back that place. That's the gardener. And that's why the Bible said, Spirit of the Lord is upon me and preach the gospel to the poor because there's no broke in his garden. He said, deliverance of the captives because there's none bound in his garden. Recovering of the sight to the blind because there's none blind in his garden. Because there's no sickness in his garden. There's no disease in his garden. There's nothing of the sort in that garden. So he said, I've got to get rid of all that stuff so we can make way back to that garden. And that's why the Bible says in John chapter 19 and verse 41, just doing a little Bible study. Now, in the place where he was crucified. There was a garden. You understand? That that last Adam, God as the gardener, came and understood what it was going to take to get that first garden back. He had to go through another garden. And what he did on that tree, that tree he planted in that last garden, was what got us back what Adam lost in the first garden. That's what he did. Because he knew it would take another garden. 
And what he did in that last garden, he did it all to get back what we lost in the first. You know what you lost in the first? You lost a relationship with God. You lost health. You lost vitality. You lost a right mind. You lost a conscience. You lost all of these things in the garden. But he said, I'm willing to get all those back because it's in that last garden. What he did on that tree at Calvary that got us all back. But here's the thing that's powerful. He's so good of a gardener that he's not only the gardener that came back to get back the garden he had lost, but he's also made himself the seed. The seed that would be planted in that last garden. Pull that up. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And keep going. And a new, and in that garden, a new sepulcher or a tomb where he would be buried. Not only was he the gardener, but he became the seed himself that would be, and he would bury himself or have himself to be buried as that seed. He was a proverbial corn of wheat that was supposed to fall to the ground and die. And unless it fall to the ground and die and abide alone, it bringeth forth not much fruit. He said, not only am I the gardener, he said, I don't even expect I'm going to take care of this. And he said, I'm not only going to be the gardener, but I'm going to be the seed as well. And it was the seed of his suffering that gave us the fruit of salvation it was the seed of his pain that became our power to get back oh let's see what did he plant in that garden what did he plant in that garden I'll tell you what he planted in that garden he planted a a pricked a brow a busted brow from that crown of thorns that's what he buried for us to have the fruit of a right mind Do you really believe that he's the gardener that can take all sin and plant it in a garden and cause salvation to bloom? He would take a beaten brow, plant it in the ground so you can have a right mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That was the fruit. But then he had two pierced hands that he would plant in that garden. For us to receive forgiveness and to give forgiveness. He had a pierced side that out of his side would flow the blood and water, the fundamental elements in which would he would use to construct the bride. But out of his side, he planted that so that we can have right relationships and we can have we can have a sal- salvation. But also he took, watch me now, he also took a back that was beaten with 39 stripes and he planted that in that garden. But you know as well as I do, or I hope you know, if you don't know, you can study it on Google. But in the history, or in the hospital, or not hospital, but medical field, you can can look and find that there are 39 major categories of disease in the world right now but Jesus took one stripe on his back for each one of those and he planted that in the garden so that you can experience the fruit of healing see he got back in the last garden what Adam lost 
So we can have a right mind. We can receive forgiveness. We can give forgiveness. And we can also receive healing in our body. But now, it don't even stop there. It continues because you know that when he was crucified on that cross, for him to hang on that cross, the feet had to be overlapped. And overlapped, the nail had to go through the thickest part of the foot. That was the heel. And he planted that in that last garden so it would fulfill the scripture. Devil, you may bruise my heel. But I'm going to crush your head. In other words, what that tells me, we have a fruit that says we don't need to be defeated. We don't need to be downtrodden or the victim. Hey, 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 hey. He said, you may bruise my heel, but I'm going to crush your head. But that's what he planted in that garden. You don't have to be defeated, beat down and broken. He said, I gave you victory. I gave you shirt. I promise you, I promise you I'm almost done, but I want you to help uh, help you understand about this gardener. But if God did all that in that last garden to get back what we lost in the first, and he did exactly that, then let me ask you, why are we still ashamed? Why are we still afraid? Why are we still living beneath the privilege of a child of God? Because it's that same thing that interrupted intimacy in the first garden that still carries weight where we are right now. Because the Bible said after they'd ate that fruit and they were separated in sin, the Bible says that they took fig leaves and they... and they hid themselves. They created aprons, fig leaves to cover up their most vulnerable places of their lives that God used to access. They used fig leaves, leaves that used to be the environment that would, that would cultivate intimacy and and a vulnerability to be able to bring your, your fears to God, the things you didn't understand. But now they brought fig leaves to cover up what they thought was wrong with them. This was their attempt being right with God. This was their attempt at being perfect. This was their attempt by their own hands, by their own ability, through their own talents to try to cover up the imperfections that they thought would not please God. We're not good enough anymore. He's still faithful, but we... And this was them putting on their best trying to put their best foot forward and trying to present themselves like nothing was wrong. And how many times do we come to this environment? We come to this environment and all of a sudden, we put on a smile. We fix up our hair. We get our our Dudley do-right clothes on. We get our tie tight and we, and we get, we come in here and we present to everybody else in this world and even to God like everything's okay and we just praise Him. But that's not what He wants. Because they knew that there was still something wrong. There was still something undone because God said, how'd you know you were naked? They didn't have, that nobody needed to tell them that they were naked. 
Because did you know if you would take fig leaves and you would puncture them trying to piece them together to try to cover up what you thought was wrong with you so you could be pleasing to God? Did you know if you punctured those fig leaves, did you know that they would secrete an irritant that is one of the greatest irritants to human flesh to this day? So can you imagine they're in the presence of God and they're trying to put it off like everything's okay and it's uh, it don't bother, the, bother me that my marriage is falling apart. It don't bother me that my kids have left. It don't bother me that there's pain in my body but I'm supposed to be a child of God. It don't bother me. But at the same time, that irritating, nagging feeling saying, I know something's just not right. I know something's not working You know what that feeling is? That's a feeling of conviction. Where you've done your best to put your best foot forward, but still something's just not right. And you praise with the best of them, but you know deep down inside, you don't have faith for what you're believing for. You have questions that you don't have answers for. you got diseases that the doctors don't even know what to do with. But still, we sow fig leaves together. But all God wants you to do is come to Him and say, God, I don't understand. It don't make sense to me. God, I'm afraid. Naked and unashamed. That's why when He went on that cross, He didn't have no little loincloth. He went on the cross naked and unashamed, despising the shame, the Bible says, because He went to that cross exactly how He wants you to present yourself to Him. Saying, I want nothing in between us. So that's why even when Jesus came on the scene, the Bible says in John chapter 1 and around verse 40 and down into 45, the Bible says that Nathaniel or Philip was so excited that their Messiah had finally come. Was so excited that everything that they were hoping for was finally here. So Philip's talking. He's so excited. He runs to Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, he's here. The one we've been waiting on. The one that Moses and the prophets spoke about. The revival we've been praying for. It's here. Jesus, he says, of Nazareth. And Nathaniel, watch what Nathaniel says. Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can any good thing come out? I say it like this. Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? They said that about Iowa. Can any good thing come out of Iowa? I do what, I do what Philip said. He said, come and see. So now, here's Nathaniel. He's, he, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He's got his nose up in the air. He's pious. He's faithful. He's religious. He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip's like, I don't know. I just met the dude. Come and see. And then the next verse, watch this. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, watch, Jesus never met the dude. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, saith unto of him, and saith of him, behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. Guile means deceit or cover up. He said, here's an Israelite, ain't got nothing to hide. In other words, here's a dude, he's so faithful, he ain't got nothing wrong with him. Here's a perfect man who's got nothing to hide. And watch his response. Nathaniel says, saith unto him, whence knowest thou me? How do you know me? 
He said, here's a perfect man. He said, how do you know me? But you know where this is going. And Jesus says, before that Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. I know you're playing it like you've got nothing wrong and your faith is intact. I know you're playing it, putting the smile on, trying to make everything seem like it's okay. But he said, when you were under the fig leaves, I saw you. I saw you hiding. I saw what was underneath. But here's the thing. When I saw you, he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because when, when Nathaniel, when he said that, he fell down to his knees and he said, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel all because Jesus saw underneath the fig leaves. God saw where it was really going, what was really going on underneath everything. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't use what he saw under the fig leaves against Nathaniel. Let me say that again. What Jesus sees underneath, what we're afraid to give Him, what we're afraid to let Him have, He's not going to use what's under the fig leaves against you, but He's going to use it as an opportunity for intimacy, trying to get back that garden place with you. And I'll quit. I want you to understand He saw under the fig leaves. But that didn't turn Jesus off. That cranked Jesus up. And when he said, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel, Nathaniel said to him, Jesus said, because I saw you where you were, you ain't seen nothing yet. You wait till what what I do on that tree in that last garden. I'm going to use, I'm going to use what's underneath your fig leaves as stepping stones to that place in your heart. For a moment, I'm going to tell you real quick about the day that I met the gardener. If you'll just give me a few more minutes to tell you about the day that I met the gardener. It was a day about 10 months ago where my pastor took me and several young preachers to sit around a table with his old pastor who was a prophet of God. But this old prophet of God had just had a seizure, seizure so or something go on where he had a seizure or a stroke and he would just kind of look off into the distance and looking off into the distance we just sat there wishing that he'd say something to us kind of like sometimes when I've been by Bishop I just say I hope he say something to me but this prophet of God with his stroke that had limited him he now is looking into the distance we're sitting as young men saying I just wish he'd say something I wish he'd just speak to us like an old Bible story where the the patriarchs were, their eyes were dim. We just wanted a last blessing. So as we sat there just pleading with God, God, just let him say something. That old prophet all of a sudden glazed over with the anointing and the Spirit of God. And he would look at one of these young men and he said, he'd say, young man, don't you worry. Because if you do God's business, he's going to take care of you. And that young man start to cry. That young man start to weep. Then he'd go back out. 
A little while later, they'd come back on him. And he'd look back over. And he'd say, it looks like God's been absent for a while. But God had to withdraw Himself from one way that you knew Him so He could show you a different part of Himself that you've never seen. And they'd start crying. But then all of a sudden, as I'm just sitting there knowing that I'm the last young man, I'm knowing He's about to prophesy to me and that Holy Ghost comes on Him again. And He looks at me and He says, Brother Near, He said, sometimes you've got to just let God know where you are. You've got to get beyond your fig leaves and your pretty prayers. He said, I remember when I used to be out in the field. For hours I would scream at God, letting Him know where I was. He said, I knew God knew. But I was letting Him know, God, I don't understand why. I don't know where we're going next. God, I'm afraid. I don't know why they left. I don't know why I'm not healed. For hours he would scream. Then all of a sudden it left him and he looked back off into the distance. And to be honest with you, Antioch, I left mad. You saying I don't pray? You saying I haven't been faithful? No, that's not what he said. He said sometimes you got to let God know where you are. So that afternoon, I received a phone call. And that phone call would bring me to my knees. My family was up two floors, me down in the basement, in my little prayer place. I began to pray and plead with God, receiving that phone call. I said, God, I don't know where you are. But I'm right here and I'm afraid. I don't know why I feel like I feel. And I don't know where I'm going or what I'm going. And that day I I pleaded with God, God, I'm right here. And I took off the fig leaves that day. I, I stripped everything. I said, God, the gloves are off. Here am I. And when I did, God showed me my heart. And in my heart, Pastor, There was a little just black dot that was bleeding in like a cancerous spot into my heart. I said, God, what is that? At first I said, God, that can't be there. We've seen the blind eyes open. That can't be there. And he zoomed in on it. You know, you know what it was when he zoomed in on it? It was a little 13 inch TV. And that may not mean much to you. It wasn't Hollywood. It wasn't media. But that 13-inch TV, I knew what it was when God showed it to me. It was the same 13-inch TV that sat in our kitchen as an alcoholic, drunk father would stumble in. He would stumble past the kids and stumble past my mother and sit at that table for hours in a stupor. And he would watch that 13-inch TV. And this little boy would scream, Dad, what about me? Wrestle with me. Play with me. And God said, Ryan, this is the source of all of your insecurities and fears and doubts. And I thought, you don't want that, do you, God? 
But no, when I thought he'd lean away from me because of what was in my heart, he leaned towards me. And he said, can I have that? And I said, it's yours. Take it. So let me ask you, Antioch, have you met the gardener? Because he's in this house right now. I want you to lift your hands. I want you to reach out to him and say, God, I'm right here. God, I need you. I don't understand. If you feel to stand to your feet and come to this altar, I want you to come. Because the gardener is here. He came bringing healing. He came wanting you more than he ever has. Come on, somebody get real with him. Let's all stand. Come on, let's all stand. And I want everyone in this sanctuary to begin to move forward towards this altar to meet with Him. Come on, that's it. There it is. If you've got somebody next to you, I want you to grab them by the hand and say, Come on, let's go meet the gardener. Every young man, every lady. Off. You don't have anything to hide. Here I am. Here I am. Come on, because everybody has a 13 inch TV. 